Hey guys, welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny, the lead pastor. I pray that the message that you're about to hear is encouraging, uplifting, and honestly challenging as well. I want to invite you to join us in person Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street, or catch church online at 11 a.m. on our YouTube or Facebook page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I pray that you're blessed by today's message and that it helps draw you closer to Jesus. Last week, we read through Paul's resume of righteousness. He had this whole list of accolades that he could lay claim to prior to encountering Christ. What we learned is that nothing that he listed is capable of granting us forgiveness of sin or new life. In other words, those things, as righteous and holy as they might appear, are incapable of saving us. We mentioned things like rituals, our ethnicity, traditions, titles, family, zeal, or your own personal righteousness are incapable of saving you. Paul said he checked all the boxes, but what he discovered was that he still fell incredibly short of God's perfect and righteous standard. And he learned that it was only by the grace of God through faith in Jesus that he could be saved. As we go on through chapter 3, Paul's going to continue to expound on this idea. He's going to go into greater depth in helping us understand the difference between having confidence in our own selves versus in Christ. Putting confidence in our own righteousness versus Christ's righteousness. So let's begin by reading today's passage and let's start at verse 7. Here's what Paul says. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. If we were to create a chart to demonstrate Paul's thinking before he encountered Christ, it may look something like this. Picture a chart with a gain column and a loss column. Before Paul encountered Christ, everything that he mentioned in his resume of righteousness in his mind was in the gain column. He thought that these things would be great for him in in his book. But after he encountered Christ, he realized and moved each of those things into the loss column. And here's what happened. Christ opened his eyes to his inability to uphold the law perfectly. Can I be honest with you? This is what I hope will happen to us as we study this as well. That God might open our eyes to realize the things that we count as gain are actually losses once we're able to see and understand Christ fully. Paul goes on to say this, More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dumb so that I may gain Christ. He says that upon knowing Jesus, it flipped his world upside down. Knowing Jesus was of surpassing value than all the other stuff that he previously deemed valuable. It's interesting that he says that because of Jesus, he suffered the loss of all things. Isn't it fascinating that he uses the word suffer when he refers the transferring of all that he deemed gain into the loss column? But I think it makes sense, doesn't it? You see, whenever we poke at things that we value, what happens? Well, you know, what happens when you have a dog that you think is the cutest thing in the world and I call it ugly? You get offended, right? When when something you're attached to, something that you cherish, something you hold dear gets pulled away from you, it hurts. And this may even be what some of you have felt throughout this series or over the past few weeks in particular. You hear a truth and you're like, oh, man, that that hurts. Because sometimes the truth hurts. 
There's pain and discomfort when something we've placed our confidence in is ripped away from us. But what Paul is saying is that knowing Jesus is far more valuable. The things you've attempted to pull value, worth, and faith from was shaky ground. But Jesus is a firm foundation. And ultimately what all those things are is done, according to Paul. That's what our good works are. Our rituals, our traditions, our righteousness. It's done. That's what the Greek word means. It means dung, excrement, trash, rubbish. Some scholars believe that the translators are being kind because the word that Paul is using here is actually a more vulgar way of saying done. But what's the big idea? That all of it is powerless to save. And the only thing that matters is Jesus and what he did. Paul says that there's a surpassing value to knowing Christ. So that means that we need to wrestle with this question. What does it mean to know Christ? Some of you came here today, and that's the question that you came in with. You're asking yourself, how do I know Christ? Or what does it mean to know Him? What's the commitment? What's the ask here? And so three big ideas that we can pull from today's passage. How do we know Christ? To know Christ is to, number one, accept the righteousness of Christ. And here's what Paul says in verse 9. And be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. We're going to go over a few theological terms today for you Bible nerds, okay? Uh, For those of you that like taking extra notes, here's the theological term. It's the term justification. And what it means for us is that we are inherently sinful people. The Bible says that all have sinned. The Bible says that there is no one good, no, not one. And it says that the wages of our sin, in in other words, what our sin deserves, or the punishment or payment for our sin, is death. Remember what Paul says about our righteousness, our good works, that before a holy and righteous God, they are rubbish, they're trash, they're dung. Because of this, what we deserve is death and to suffer God's just wrath and eternal separation from God. By, By the way, some of you might be like, geez, Danny, that's so harsh. There's no way God would do that. I'm I'm a pretty good person. But the reason you think that way is that you have too high a view of yourself and too low a view of God. You have too little respect and fear of God. But that's why the gospel is good news. Because God doesn't leave us in our hopelessness. Instead, God so loves you that he will stop at absolutely nothing to rescue you from your sin. Why? Because he cannot stand to have eternity without you. And why can't he stand to have eternity without you? I don't know. He just loves you so desperately, so passionately, so immensely. So God puts on flesh. He enters his own creation in an unfathomable act of humility, love, and passion through the person and work of Jesus. And Jesus lives a righteous life, the life that we could never live. But he's led to the cross to die in our place. And he conquers the grave, granting us forgiveness of sin and new life. And when we put our faith in Christ, we receive justification. It's accepting the righteousness of Christ, not our own. And when we do, God no longer sees our sin, but Christ's righteousness. If you had a hefty fine uh, that there was no way you could afford to pay, and it went to the court of law, the judge would look at you and say, you can't pay the fine? Okay, then... The consequences that follow are yours to keep because you cannot pay the fine and you broke the law. However, if someone entered the court and paid your fine, 
Even though you were guilty of breaking the law and rightfully earning the consequences legally, the judge can let you go. And that's what is made available to us through Jesus. Jesus paid the fine you and I owed. And because of Jesus' death and victory over the grave, we can be forgiven and we can be granted eternity, not by our righteousness, but because of Jesus. To know Christ is to, number two, you can write this down, grow closer to Christ. And here's how Paul says it. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. The theological term here for, for you Bible nerds is sanctification. This is the process by which we draw closer to Christ and begin to look more like him. In other words, you grow in your walk with Christ to such a degree that you pattern your life after him. You don't talk like you used to. You don't think like you used to. The people who had an influence on your life, the grip that they had on you begins to loosen. The sins that engulfed you before you encountered Christ begin to fade away. You don't find satisfaction in the things that you used to. Feelings of hate, malice, and jealousy are replaced with love, joy, and patience. To know Christ is to grow closer to Him and to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out. It's to desire the will of God over your own, to seek Him wholeheartedly and genuinely pursue Him. But here's what's interesting. Within this passage, Paul gives us a specific way by which we can grow closer to Him. There's a particular way God can help us in sanctification. And no doubt, it's not a way that you've probably thought of before. Paul says that we can know Christ through the fellowship of his sufferings. In other words, as Christ suffered, we know that we will suffer as well. We don't, we don't only know Christ through the great times, through the times of peace and the times of success, but perhaps we even get to know Christ greater when we fellowship with him in his sufferings. When we find ourselves in moments of hardship, strife, stress, and worry, anxiety, mourning, grief, and pain, it's often through those moments when God is doing a deep, profound, sanctifying work in us. It's like how fire refines gold. In order to have the purest form of gold, it has to be put through the fire where the gold could be melted down and the impurities can be removed. It is in those moments of suffering where God is oftentimes doing the deepest sanctifying work in and through us, purifying us, making us more like Christ. Why? So that we can know Christ. And here's number three. To know Christ is to anticipate being with Christ. Let's continue to read. It says this in verse 10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. The theological term here is glorification. This is the promise that we have for those who have placed their faith in Jesus those who are clothed in righteousness. What we have available is the promise of our eternity secured. It's as we read earlier in the book of Philippians, what Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because of what Christ has done, because our sins are forgiven and we're made new, we don't have to worry about what comes next after this life. As Christians, we even long for it, not in a morbid kind of way, but in a way where anticipation is being built. It's kind of like the wedding day. For those of you who have gotten married, you, you know, there's all this anticipation built up. You've made all the preparations for the wedding. The photographer's booked. 
You picked out the menu for the reception. Brides, you, you've chosen your dress. Grooms, you have your tugs picked out and everything is clean and neat. You even iron your socks. And all that's left is anticipation. You anticipate the guests arriving at the church. You anticipate the music, the flowers, the decorations. You anticipate the moment when the bride walks down the aisle and the bride and groom hold hands and they look each other in the eyes and say, I do. You anticipate the wedding night or the honeymoon, especially for a couple who has chosen to honor God in their relationship and who's had the, the word as the foundation for their union and have withheld their bodies from one another until the proper time, there's a lot of beautiful and holy anticipation. For us as followers of Christ, to know Christ is to have this built-up angst and anticipation to be with Him. And because we live in a world so surrounded by sin and suffering, we can know that in the presence of God, all that will cease. There will only be peace, tranquility, and love for all of eternity. And this should all build anticipation within us. And if you're here today and you stand unsure about your eternity, there's a way that you can be certain. That is by putting your faith in the righteousness of Jesus. God has provided a way for your sins to be forgiven. He's provided a way to reconcile the broken relationship between us and God. That is through the work of Christ. And you can be absolutely certain and even be in anticipation of eternity in the presence of Christ by putting your faith in Him. And if you haven't done so today, I don't want to conclude our time without, without giving you an opportunity to do so. All you have to do is right there where you are, admit your need for a Savior, acknowledge that you are incapable of saving yourself, and accept the free gift of God's grace made available in Jesus. And follow after Jesus from this point on. And for the rest of us, what's our goal? It's to know Christ. And how do we know Christ? What, what, what is the ask? What is the commitment? To know Christ is to accept God's justification which is Christ's righteousness, not our own. To know Christ is to grow closer to Christ, growing in sanctification, being purified like gold in the fire. To know Christ is to anticipate being in His presence for all eternity, that there is love, that there's peace after this life of strife and pain. And I would love nothing more for you than to know Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we thank you for our justification that comes through the righteousness of Christ and through his righteousness alone. And we pray that you would help us to draw closer to Christ, help us to grow in Christ-likeness, that all might see Christ in and through us. And Lord, we grow in anticipation and we rejoice that because of Christ, our eternities are secure. So when the time comes, we will be ready in your presence. We will be in your presence forever. But until that day comes, I pray, God, you would allow us to be about the Father's business and to sharing this good news with as many people as possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message. I want to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And come on over, join us, come to the Swerve Hub, let's worship together, let's get together, let's worship God together, let's learn and grow together, let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday?